Welcome to the Artelligence Podcast. I'm Marion Manneker, and we're going to explore the mysteries of the global art market. Leon Benramon is spearheading Heritage Auctions expansion into the New York market. Leon has organized a contemporary and modern sale on May 2nd. In this podcast, he talks about the middle market, its prospects for growth, and Heritage's unique model. Thank you so much for taking some time with me today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So we're about to see your uh, May sale in New York uh, hung, and then the auction is on May 2nd. Indeed. I thought we'd start talking a bit about your sale, and then we could talk broader about the market that you sort of see yourself in. Sure. Our sale is May 2nd. It's, for us, a really exciting sale. It represents the highest total dollar value we've ever had as a low estimate. It's also our second time doing an evening sale, our first one being last season. And it's our second time doing a sale in New York, our first one also being last season. So as opposed to last season, we've moved our entire day sale here as well, which is something really new. Basically, you know, our goal for this sale was to kind of solidify our position or what we'd like to be our position in the market. And that is really to become an alternative venue for collectors, um, dealers, and galleries, both to consign and also to bid on what we view as secondary middle market material that we still believe is incredibly important. So, you know, maybe it's a bit old fashioned, but I still think a hundred thousand or a quarter of a million or half a million dollars is a lot of money. And I think that works uh, by artists that sell in those levels should be, should garner a certain level of respect. And I think that, sadly, in a lot of other houses, they don't. Um, and I think, especially if you look two or three years ago, they didn't. Um, and, uh, and now I think some of the houses are starting to make some changes or trying to appeal um, to their consigners in that way. But this is something that we still feel very strongly about and we put at the forefront. So our, our cover lot is a de Kooning painting that's six hundred to $800,000, and our back cover is a Jeff Kuhn sculpture that's three hundred to $500,000. I think there is no scenario where you would ever see lots with those kinds of estimates in, in another house's catalog uh, as those respective um, marketing promises. And we really follow through the rest of the way with that. So this de Kooning is gonna have a full page out of the New York Times for a work at, at Christie's or Sotheby's or even Phillips to have that kind of exposure, uh, it, you would have to add a, a zero to the estimate in order for that to happen. So for us, it's, it's not just an exciting sale because it really solidifies our position. We have a lot more works in the 100,000 to $1 million range, but we, the, the breadth of the works um, is really quite amazing. We are also, we've got a couple exciting lots, um, like we're including Milton Avery actually, a later work by Milton Avery in the sale. Um, which is not incredibly um, common. Most Milton Avery works are sold in the American art category. But because this is a later work and because we really feel that um, the consigner is going to get a lot of benefit from having the additional added exposure and cross-marketing, so we decided to include that work. Um, and in addition to that, um, you know, we've really just got this great span, Robert Rauschenberg, um, We've got a fantastic Helen Frankenthaler. We've got more contemporary works like Cause and Keith Ehring, um, Chamberlain, Basquiat. So, you know, it really, it ranges in, the, in what you would expect, but the focus for the evening sale was primarily American artists, with the exception of a, a single Sigmar Polk work. 
uh, everything else is, is American. And so that was really an important aspect as well. And although it might sound just a bit simple, our logic behind doing that is we want the best for our consigners. And because we are not one of the bigger houses where people are marking their calendars or staying up all night, uh, we wanted to make sure that our European bidders are comfortable and can bid on works in our, in our day session, which is right around the right time for them, and that our American bidders um, are able to, to bid in, in the evening sale and not uh, detract from, from that. So it's, we, we do things just slightly differently, but we really feel like this is it's a fantastic sale for us and we're really excited to see what happens. Well, it sounds like you've uh, certainly appealed to consigners <coughs> just because you have more of these works in the mid-six figures range, and I, I'm assuming they uh, liked that pitch, that they would be you know, featured rather than um, an also-ran in, in that sale. But tell me about the, the buyers. Are, do you have a different cross-section of buyers, or is it just that that focus brings buyers to you additionally because there's a little more visibility for some of these works? I, I mean, I guess what, part of what I'm asking is, are, are there more collectors or dealers? Generally, day sale material of this range is heavily dealer-focused, fo uh, but you know, it sounds like you're making much more of a pitch directly to collectors. So, I mean, that is a really good question. It, it strikes to exactly what makes Heritage unique as an auction house. So most people don't know that we're the third largest auction house in the world. Um, we're, primary, we're number one for collectibles in the world. So a lot of people may know us through one of our collectible venues. But um, for fine art specifically, and myself coming from the modern contemporary art world, um, it represents a really unique opportunity uh, in the sense that we, I'd say, up to a million, maybe two million dollars, I believe that we get to all the same bidders as Sotheby's, Christie's, or Phillips. Uh, that comes primarily by nature of the fact that we are really monsters online. We sell 300 million dollars a year online, which is, just to give you some kind of comparison, Christie's sells about 30 million a year online, so we're about 10 times the size of them. Um, I don't know how much larger we are than Paddle 8, but I know we're uh, probably 20 to 30 times the size of, of all, you know, really all of the art websites out there that are selling online. We are really kind of the market leaders. And as a result, we have this incredible e-marketing, e-commerce presence. So when we list a lot online, it automatically really gets out there to a lot of people. We do a lot of um, bids on, on keywords and advertisements and, and um, replacing ads in front of people who have already uh, searched that artist or that search term or whatever you, you might have it. So I really feel that um, we have that sector that really brings a lot of bidders to us. In addition to that, I think for a long time, uh, because our company was based in Dallas, because uh, for uh, the last seven years, the department's really kind of been building itself up, there were a lot of people who thought Heritage was their little secret. Um, so you had a, this huge population of dealers, collectors, gallerists that kind of felt like this was something that would slip under the radar, much in the same sense you might look at like a regional German auction house and find like a little Gerhard Richter work and think that nobody else knows about it. Um, and so we've kind of really evolved from that. I think that that might have been true a few years ago, but I think especially now that we've increased our presence, um, we've, we've really been able to incorporate a lot of the same bidders. 
And then finally, I will admit that we don't have exactly the same. Um, what I would say we have is we have just as many in terms of number. So we might have about 80% of the same bidding pool as Sotheby's or Christie's does. Um, so they might have an additional 20% that we don't, but what we have in exchange as an additional 20% is we have these great cross crossover bidders. So a great example is two seasons ago, there was a Chagall on the back cover, and I've personally been dealing in Chagall for a really long time. And uh, the I had four or five different clients bidding on the work, and to my surprise, a comic collector from Chicago who had never bought at Sotheby's or Christie's before ended up winning the work. So it goes to show that um, there are a lot of crossover bidders that you may or may not expect that come in. Um, so when, especially when we have lots that just have great crossover potential, like whether they feature a sports character, like we had a Pete Rose last season by Andy Warhol. Um, it might be a Chanel where the you know, world leaders in luxury women's handbags, um, whatever it may be. Uh, but there are definitely a lot of images that we just get this incredible crossover potential. Was that comic book collector uh, a, a buyer of art previously, or was this his first work of art that he bought? I believe that he was a buyer of art previously, but I do know that he he really liked the heritage model in the sense that he could bid online, everything was transparent, the reserves were published, um, which are a couple things I'm sure that we should touch on, but heritage really has a different model in terms of approachability and transparency. Um, and so, you know, he's, he really, I think, enjoys working with Heritage in a number of different places, and so he felt a lot more comfortable buying fine art from us. And then, frankly, the last thing we do is because we, we put so much into our marketing, I can say safely that, for instance, last season we had a great Motherwell painting that brought just shy of a million dollars in, in our evening sale, and I think we had five registered bidders for that lot. Three of them came from our marketing efforts, specifically actually from a full-page ad we took in the New York Times. So where we may also lack uh, in terms of really uh, moving on new ground, I think we're able to really compensate for that and the fact that I would say dollar for dollar we probably spend more than any other auction house out there. So if you look at our low estimate, uh, our aggregate, it's obviously a, I'd say a, probably a fraction of that of Sotheby's or Christie's, but I think that we spend comparatively much more money on marketing. So I just want to follow up on something about how we're defining this sort of middle market, whether it's simply about the, the dollar uh, figure or uh, at least in this beginning <coughs> phase, you're, you're focused fairly on uh, big names. You mentioned Motherwell, there's a de Kooning, there's a Rauschenberg in here. These are all you know uh, uh, the biggest names in, in modern and contemporary art, but lower priced works in that you know, six-figure ra range. There are also people dealing in works in that same price range, but they are from either emerging artists or artists that are sort of somewhat cult figures and, and all. Is this, I mean, is there a choice, or is that just the mix that you have now of having these uh, uh, big names and some of their lower price? I think it is somewhat of a choice. You know, I think uh, I'm, joined by two specialists, um, one Frank, he Frank Hedig in Dallas and my other colleague is Holly Sher in San Francisco. I think we're very, very keen on being selective as to what we put into our auctions in general, but even more importantly, what we put into our evening sale. So I think that decision starts with the fact that we want to make sure all of our bidders and all of our consigners have a great experience with us. So. 
maybe sometimes not to our benefit, but I'd say for the most part to our benefit, we stay away from things that we feel like could be um, really hyped markets or flash in the pans. Um, and so, it, because it's important to us to know that if you come to Heritage and you bid on a work, that if you turn around and you want to sell that work with us in five to ten years, that we'll still actually be a venue for you and that artists' market hasn't tanked. And although we can't read the future, I think it's pretty safe to say that artists like de Kooning or Rauschenberg or Warhol, their markets will stay. Um, the other part of that is what I think we do a really great job is, is we really become little niche areas for a select group of artists that I'd say are, once again, kind of commonly overlooked. And so, um, or alternatively, they're not necessarily overlooked, but I would say that they're not put in an evening sale context. So that's, I think, really more of what it's about is, for instance, we put a, a Friedel Zubas work in here. That's that's where I'm sort of going. Yeah. Where I'm sort of going. There's you can have a, a contemporary artist or an emerging artist, artist who's sure. in that price range, but you could also go and look at someone like Peter Zubas. Like Zubas uh, exactly. We do have a Vassarelli. These are the kinds of names. There's a lot of trading. They've gone up and down in reputation over the years, but they certainly. Well, those are the artists we love because they're market is strong. They do trade frequently. I think that we feel pretty unanimously that their contributions to art history and the, the canon and the trajectory, they're there and they're solidified. So, you know, I don't think obviously you can look at an artist who's, you know, passed and, and imagine that uh, their mark on the art world is going to significantly change. However, I think it can just get strengthened, you know, over time. Um, and so, in a lot of ways, there are, of course, a great number of artists that I think people have been talking about really, you know, revisiting for a very long period of time. I think that we prefer to sell a Friedel Zubas work between twenty and thirty thousand um, dollars as an auction estimate, as opposed to a young contemporary artist who we're not as comfortable with, with the same estimate. Um, and I think that that's a really great distinction. I think if you look at the, our evening sale catalog, you'll see. There's a pretty amazing consistency. As a matter of fact, like when we laid out the sale, unfortunately, you don't see all the lots side by side in our catalog, uh, but rather page after page. But if you saw them all side by side, it's pretty amazing how a lot of the works play off of each other. Um, and, and we really actually enjoyed that aspect. So there's a Nuskiewicz, there's also, um, you know, there's a great Robert Bechtel work. We're really big fans of, uh, there's great Charles Bell work, who really doesn't trade all that frequently at auction, although his market is incredibly strong when he does. There's just a really great, uh, what I would call a great mix of works that really play off of each other. Um, and, and the estimate is not necessarily the driving factor. You know, it doesn't, doesn't need to be a six-figure work. I mean, I'm looking right now at a Wayne Thiebaud work that's fifteen to 20000 but it, it's a fantastic little drawing by Thiebaud. And I just, I think that a lot of people Consigners especially, but even bidders, they really appreciate seeing a fifteen to twenty-five thousand dollar work in our evening sale catalog. I think it's refreshing. I think it's different, and I really think that it makes them feel like we're giving them a platform for their work to shine and to get to do that. It you know the the respect that it deserves or the, that it should get or that it needs. You know, as I started the podcast, I still personally think that a uh, hundred thousand dollars is a lot of money, and I think that works at that level should. Um, command a certain amount of respect. I mean, there's 
Well, I think you can you can just well, I think you can you can just see from the success of the mid-season sales at Sotheby's, which have now been contemporary curated sales, and taking a slightly different direction by by having personalities somewhat involved. But I think that's more a marketing gloss than the actual content of the sales. And and Christie's has greatly expanded their first opening. Again, often the same constituency of of artists, and sure. the, when they first did, it looked like it was a risky move that, you know, how would they be able to find enough demand to support all, sure. all those sales, and they seem to have had no problem. Well, I think, you know, and, and of course, I we we fully respect our, you know, our, our competitors, and I think we recognize that we are small fish in a big pond, but, um, you know, I, I thought that that move was interesting. That's all developed over the last, I'd say, year, year and a half or so. Um, although that sale has existed for a long period of time, I think the, the new energy and focus that's been given to it, you're seeing Christie's roll out, you know, a number of different first opens, which, you know, once it started out just as a, as a single mid-season sale um, in between uh, fall and spring, and now has, you know, enveloped to become, I think, eight or ten different auctions a year. Uh, and around the world. And around the world, which is amazing. Um, I, I do think that that's definitely a response to the fact that I think consigners... Uh, want a venue for their works where they don't feel belittled. Um, I think opening the most recent first open catalogs, I was pretty surprised to see works with estimates, um, which are the estimates I'm used to looking at in my catalogs, uh, you know, seeing even works under $1,000. That was pretty shocking to me, and I don't think that's what we usually associate with Christie's. Um, I do think, however, though, there, if I may say, um, that there's still a small gap there in the sense that I think there's still something to be said for the fact that consigners want to see their works in the main season, for lack of a better word, um, and whether you know whether it be in New York in November and May or whether it be in in London during those you know three times a year. I think they still want to see their works in that main sale context. I still I still think that there's a, a negative place on being in a mid-season sale. And I still think that they want to see it in a really elevated light. You know, I, I still believe that if you have three $20,000 works on one page without any additional information or giving some kind of background to the work, I still think that that's not giving the work its due. And, you know, I still think that people also want to have that kind of special feeling of being in an evening sale. And I, and while that doesn't knock at all uh, day sales in general or our day sale especially, I just think that it's there's still something you know there's still a little something missing there. And I think that people just have this real connotation when it comes to first open, um, or when it comes to mid season or contemporary curated or whatever you're going to call it. Well, I think you're you're saying you're, the consigner wants to see you working a little harder. Right, yeah, so that this really matters to, to, to you as opposed to this is another division of a large auction. Well, or alternatively, it could be as simple as, you know, I, I just personally, I, when I first started at Heritage, one of the things that used to irk me was seeing, you know, Alexander Calder works, who I absolutely love Alexander Calder, seeing what I thought were these really great and inventive gouache works on paper. And yes, there are a lot of them. And yes, they trade very frequently, but it doesn't mean that they're not as great as they are. And seeing those on three to a page at the back of the day sale, really getting no recognition whatsoever. 
And I said to myself, okay, whenever we get a Calder work in, uh, I want to make a real big deal about it. You know, I want it to have its own page. I want to give it a, an essay if we can. I want to do whatever we can. So last season in our evening sale, we took a, what I would call a pretty average Calder work on paper and we elevated it. We made it into something special. We gave it a comp image, uh, you know, the sculpture that it ended up, that it was a study for. We ended up finding that sculpture, taking a photograph of it, putting it in the catalog. That's not even necessary for the consigner. That's almost as much for us as it is for the consigner. You know, yes, a consigner ultimately benefits from that, mm -hmm. but we do too. You know, we we enjoy being able to give works that level of detail. The buyer benefits from that as well. The buyer does. You know, it's it's nice if you were to buy that Calder work and it was, for lack of a better word, a thumbnail in another auction house's catalog. You wouldn't know that it was the original study for the work at you know the Sears Tower in Chicago you probably wouldn't know that. So, you know, those are the kind of very nice things that I think that we're able to do. And I think, you know, our model doesn't appeal to everyone, but I think for very certain works, it's, it's absolutely the best model out there. And I think we, although I'm sure there are hundreds of instances where Sotheby's or Christie's gets better results than we do, there are also quite a number of instances where we get better results than they do. And I think that's directly linked to the fact that we put so much heart and soul into all of our, our efforts whether it be from a marketing perspective or a business term perspective, you know, I think in terms of business terms, we're able to do the same thing that an auction house might do on a $5 million work for a half million dollar work. So, you know, all of those things I think combined just lead to a really great user experience and heritage. But it also sounds like there's, there's something going on with the buyers. There are either more of them or they're buying more frequently that there's whole classes of work that are trading with some greater frequency. Whether it's the sure. Calder gouaches, which now are in the front of the run of um, Southern Because they're sure sales. Exactly. They're sure bets. Exactly. Everybody wants to start to sell out strong. Exactly. And, and, and that's a, a testament to, to the market, right? Yeah. That, that the, it's big and um, you know you can count on, on it. So I guess I'm... Uh, you have those crossover buyers from the collectibles market. Mm -hmm. uh, you have the sort of uh, collectors and the, the dealers. You haven't been here very long, but you've been in the art market for quite mm -hmm. a while. Are, are you seeing new and different types of people um, as buyers? Is it is it just people buying more frequently? Uh, you know, I think the taking a, a swab of the market in its totality, I, I think, we could sit here and talk about for hours, but you know, I just typically find that the art world in general usually only has one of two things going on. Uh, either the existing buying public is just continuing to buy, um, and then typically that is coupled with new buyers entering the market and them continuing to buy. And so I think that we're constantly, at least for as long as I can remember, we're constantly having both of those things. And so sometimes it's the Russians coming in and then going out, or the Chinese coming in and then coming out. But you know, for the most part, I think that there's always someone who's coming into the market who's never been there before, and then I think there's always a you know a pretty large part of the market who already has that collecting gene or bug or whatever you want to call it addiction that is going and continuing to buy, you know. And so I, I think from where we sit, I think the most important thing for us to do as a smaller auction house is that we typically tend to put estimates and reserves at a really low rate. Um, so that we know that we're going to generate the bidding. And so um, the de Kooning that we have on our cover is, um, 
you know, it's a very early work, I think, in, in comparison to what's available in the market. It's from 1968. It's from his East Hampton series. And uh, another house has two works that are the same exact size. They're a bit later, and their estimates are um, almost double. And so, you know, that goes to just kind of show that, you know, we really find that having lower estimates and lower reserves continually, you know, really get all of those bidders in the marketplace involved because they'll usually find out about it somehow. I do think that there are more people viewing art as a place to store value. So they're sure. happy to exchange money for works of art on the assumption that eventually they'll get their money out and they're, they, for whatever reason, they may be tapped sure. out from their stocks and bonds. They may just not like stocks well, and bonds. I think that, yeah, I mean, that's interesting. I think that that's really what this season will tell. I mean, we've, you know, we've obviously seen the effects of the 2009 decline and um, 2001 before that. And, you know, I've read at great length, although I wasn't old enough to be there, you know, the 89 and 90 decline. You know, I think that this, it, it seems like this one will actually be pretty different um, than declines in the past. I think everybody's kind of, you know, the catchphrase you're hearing thrown around a lot is consolidation, consolidation, you know, flight to quality, which is, I think, typical of almost every single crash in the art world is always a flight to quality. But um, I do think that the overall consensus is that the top end of the market is, is actually going to suffer a bit, which is, I think, uncharacteristic from other crashes that we've seen in the past or other corrections that we've seen in the past. As a matter of fact, some of them are mostly characterized by actually the top end going even higher because uh, of that flight to quality. So, you know, I think that bidders now are going to be looking for, and of course, it's just my opinion and I hope it pans out, but, um, you know, bidders are going to be looking for recognizable names that they can get in and into and out of very easily. So I think actually parts of the lower market stand to really increase pretty significantly. I mean, I think there could be a really great momentum in, in prints actually and in photographs because you're buying a really recognizable image by a very well-known artist that you could, if you get in a pinch sell for five or 10% less. And I think, you know, uh, people usually turn, throw around the phrase that, you know, art can be a counter-inflationary hedge and I definitely think that that's true, but I think over the last few years, we've seen a little less of that um, than I think people would expect. And I think that this time in particular, I think the May auctions are really going to be incredibly tricky. I, I think that uh, looking at the catalogs across all the houses, it seems like the estimates are in line with, or if not actually slightly higher than what they were last season. Although there's less material, fewer lots, lower values, I think the estimates for the individual works, if you compare them to their counterparts a year or two years ago, I think it's actually surprising how much higher the estimates are. And look, there's at the very top end of the market, there's clearly a standoff yeah. between buyers and sellers. Sure. Uh, and and if there is a consolidation, uh, it's more because of that than lack sure. of demand desire, which which is interesting. So I. I I would phrase it not so much as a consolidation as a rotation. If you're sure. stuck in a um, staring match with the seller of something very significant and they want what you just consider is way too much money for it and nothing's and there's no pressure for them to sell, you're going to then look to other things that you find exciting. Well, and, and, that, and that's that sort of rotation. Well, that hits, that hits, the, I mean, you hit the nail on the head. The problem, or not the problem is, but the truth is that generally, for the most part, 
people who do have a you know eight nine figure work of art, they don't just they just don't need to sell. They never have a need to sell, because theoretically that's just a really small part of the discretionary income. So why not just wait until the season's perfect or until the market's exactly where they want it to be? Um, you know I think there will be a few artists where they will actually hit all time highs. Like for instance, we saw Adrian Genie set a world record in London last season, and I think that that was of course very well deserved. But you know that's a really good example of okay maybe that consigner maybe he wants to sell because he knows that this is might be a good opportunity, but no at the very high end of the market I think there's enough uncertainty that people are saying no I'll just wait out a couple of seasons. Is your is your your shallow end of the pool where uh, more crowded now because the deep end sure. has just gotten to be a place where there's not. Ab much I mean absolutely I think that we wouldn't have been able to compete. And not that we compete significantly, but I don't think we would be able to do what we've been able to do this season, uh, maybe five years ago. I think that the, the market has expanded enough. There are enough sellers out there. There are enough buyers out there that we can do this. But I do have to say that I think this season, I, I can't obviously speak for the other houses, but in terms of the what we've seen from sellers is these sellers are still really operating under the same principles that sellers always operate under. It's usually death, debt, or divorce. And you know, I think we've seen a lot of people who, you know, the market has taken a turn for the worst or their assets are just not what they used to be. Art has always been um, a kind of luxury for them and so they're selling, you know. And, and I think that that still remains to be true. I mean, Heritage, unlike other houses, I think one of the things that we really greatly benefit from is our trust in estates. And because we're one of the only auction houses in the world that you that we can walk into a home and say, okay, we'll sell all of it for you. You know, we're one of the few that still do a lot of these categories that other auction houses have kind of let fall by the wayside. I mean, we are, as I mentioned, we're you know the third largest auction house in the world, but that's because we sell quite a bit of low value uh, in very very high volume. So anything from furniture to arms and armor to books and manuscripts. So a lot of people come to us through that. So we're, we are almost kind of immune to, um, when it comes to the lower end of the market, we are still able to bring in a lot of great property, um, almost you know by the shovel load um, as and a result you, you of that. you have a broad uh, reach. You're, you know, you're viewed as a, a regional because you're in yep. uh, Dallas, but you're not. You, you are central, certainly, to the coin market. Sure. Uh, in, or, in globally, mm -hmm. and uh, it certainly seems like uh, the handbags and uh, sure. uh, art, you're, you've got a fairly global reach as well. Well, I mean, we're, we're number one for so many things that we, that we, you know, we're number one for sports, comics, comic art, um, God, luxury handbags, as you just mentioned, I believe arms and armors, arms and armor, book and manu books and manuscripts, um, coins, world coins, you know, God, ancient coins, I mean, all of those things. And as I said, those really that brings a lot of consignments to us, and but, but that also, also gives brings a lot of bidders to us. But and are the bidders coming through um, as much online as they are through uh, direct contact with a, a specialist or a salesperson of some sort? I think the online is growing tremendously. I mean, so one of the things that we do differently than any other auction house out there is we open our auction for online bidding a month in advance. And when I first came to Heritage, I was like, oh my gosh, this makes no sense. Uh, but after just one season, I was like, this is the best thing ever. Because 80% of our sale is has already been bid up past the low estimate before the auction even starts. 
It's, it's amazing. But your buyers don't view it as uh, uh, why put in a bid now if you're only going to encourage someone else to bid? They don't want to wait to the last second and see if they can get that low bid in? And this is, of course, my logic. But um, what I've learned is, especially with, let's say, objects under $100,000, a lot of these bidders are either A, used to bidding on the Heritage platform, or B, they are looking at this in a bit more of a secondary role in the sense that they're saying to themselves, okay, I'd pay up to $20,000 for this. I'll put that bid in. If it gets bid up to 20, great. You know, if it doesn't, I win it, I'm happy. But they're not kind of, you know, tentatively sitting at the, you know, on the screen and, and, you know, waiting for that last click. So it's a bit like an order book bid yeah. with the option that they can get drawn in sure. live sale and participate that. And, you know, it, it serves everybody's purpose in the sense that, you know, we love it as, as specialists because our sale is, is usually pre-sold almost, which is amazing. Um, our, we, you know, the consigners love it because I think that absolutely leads to them getting uh, an incredible amount of traffic in advance because think about the psyche also um, as opposed to you know other houses where I think there's that that you know that hour before the sale and not knowing if anything is going to sell or not knowing how things are going to sell I can usually look at a consigner and say listen your work has had you know 3,000 page views it has 42 people tracking it and it has eight bids and it's you know mid-estimate and that in turn generates a lot of interest, you know, and so you have a whole new class of consigners. And now we've we've released this new thing um, that's a little, a little bit spy tech, a little bit um, I think ego driven, but um, where you can actually anyone can can click a button and see all the most recent bids in the auction. Um, I think it's over the last 24 hours, so it's pretty amazing because now you get to see what everybody else has bid on. And I think now you're like, well, I wasn't bidding on that, but now I want to look at that lot. Maybe it's you know a really good deal. I'm jumping on that. that you know, that's a, that's social marketing, right? Yeah, it's, exactly. It's, it's wanting to know what everyone else is uh, going after, yeah. and whatever eighty thousand <clears throat> internet viewers can't be wrong. There exactly. Must be something good about this. Exactly, and I think that for heritage, is amazing with things like that. I mean, there's so many different things that we do that no one else does. And not to kind of give out any um, industry secrets, but you know we have this great portal um, called PABs, post auction buys. You know where um, you know as opposed to I think the traditional model where you're maybe calling a specialist that you deal with at an auction house and kind of negotiating with them back and forth. Um, you can go onto our website and anything that failed to sell at auction, you can immediately buy outright, um, which is pretty fantastic. Um, aside from so that, so the reserve price sort of remains, and if you choose to, how long does that last after the sale? Twenty-four hours? Two uh, I believe it's actually it's a bit longer than that. It might be a week, if my memory serves me correctly. It might be a little less than that, but I, it's it's just you know it's pretty amazing. I mean, our sell-through rate is tremendous by by all standards, but for the little that is unsold at the end of the auction, it's pretty amazing that it almost gets all kind of gobbled up by these post-auction buys. And this other great thing that we have is, um, it, we call it Moto, but it's make offer to owner, um, which is also pretty amazing. So uh, if you bought a work at auction with Heritage and you are okay with it, um, basically Heritage will, if people look at that past result just like they would on any other auctions website, they can click a little button that just says make offer to owner. And so you may have bought a work at Heritage five years ago, and 
we send you an automated email from someone who's making you an offer on that work, which you can choose to accept, ignore, or decline, or make a counteroffer. And so there's actually a great number of transactions that happen that way. And, and for us, it reduces our overhead. And so we pass that savings along you know, to, to both the bidder and to the consigner. You, you take a commission on that. Right? We do, but it's, it's, it's significantly less than a normal buyer's premium or seller's premium. But I think it's a, it's a really good example of how we consistently try to do things that are smart, they're efficient, and they benefit our clients. You know, our, our number one goal is to be really approachable really transparent. You know, as I said, we're the only auction house that I know of that publishes reserves online. Um, so actually, the reserves for this sale um, coming up on May 2nd will be published tonight. So there's no kind of cloak and dagger. There's no smoke and mirrors. You just know how much the reserve is. On those post-auction buys, is that a new number below the reserve, or it's just the reserve that it, it, it didn't sell at? It initially starts out as, as the reserve, and if the consigner says, you know, I'd really like to sell this, then we can always kind of reduce it. And the other great so thing So they that, have control in the sense of they can go in and say, okay, now that it didn't sell for the reserve, I'm willing to take 15, 20 Well, they can, they can touch base with a specialist. I don't think it's as automated, um, although I may be wrong. I mean, knowing us, everything is automated, so it's possible. Um, but I will say that the other great thing that we do is um, prior to the auction kind of opening live, which typically happens 30 days in advance of the auction, uh, which is when you can start bidding, we also um, we give people the opportunity to kind of put in bids knowing what the estimate is. And that's pretty amazing because I can look at a consigner who maybe gave me a work and maybe our estimate was just a little bit too high. I can go back to them and say, listen, we had you know, uh, Mr. X, Mr. Y, Mr. Z all bid on your lot. It just didn't meet the reserve. It was just shy of, it was just too much or whatever it is. And go back to them and say, listen, we'll gladly, you know, sell this now on, on your behalf. And we know how much they bid, you know, as opposed to maybe in another house where that person just put in a condition, you know, asked for a condition report and never actually took place in that entire process. And so you don't actually know how much they would have bid. Whereas we can look at it and say the reserve was 180, this guy bid 160, you know, so we're just a little bit shy. Do you guys want to try to meet in the middle? Well, that, that goes back to the hour before the sale you were talking about. Yeah. In so many auctions, that afterwards, people are just scratching their heads saying, well, there was lots of interest. People, you know, asked after this. We just don't know where they were. Which is another reason why I like our online bidding portal, the reason being that I think everybody in the auction business knows it usually takes one to get the party started, and then it takes two to tango, right? You need to have that one... And I personally, as a, as a dealer for 10 years, I've sat in that auction room and looked at four or five other dealers in the room, all scanning each other and waiting for somebody to put up the first bid so they could all subsequently bid after, which is so funny because what ends up happening is all four or five of those dealers let the work be I, they let it pass, and then, there's, the and then there's a post-auction auction you know everybody's bidding afterwards whereas like for us it's great because yes sometimes it takes us a little bit of time to get that first bid in but it's usually in advance of the auction and so when we get to our auction it's not like you're sitting there and saying oh well i hope this bi so i can make a post-auction bid it's like all right this thing is selling like i better get my hand up or else it's gone and that's a really really great advantage that i think we have
Well, it's, it's actually uh, interesting that you've been able to make progress uh, across that reticence yeah. because there's usually a reward for yeah. you know everyone holding back and on, on occasion it turns into a post uh, auction auction. Yeah. Uh, it, it, this you at least establish some base layer of demand yeah. uh, and have some communication with the buyers uh, and the sellers. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that's one thing that we just do, uh, as I said before, I mean, we're just monsters when it comes to e-commerce and e-marketing. I think that we just do such an amazing job. All of our systems are so advanced. I mean, I think that we, because we've really pioneered the field and, you know, we were one of the first, I think, brick and mortar auction houses to ever get a domain name. I think we were the first auction house to offer online bidding. Um, you know, we still offer things that all their auction houses don't do. So if you're bidding at another house and you just press the bid button, you're kind of automatically going with whatever bid um, the system determines is next sometimes. Other times you're entering in the bid by hand, which can be a little time consuming. We have these, this automated cut bid where you can just, you know, you can cut the bid in half and it lets you know exactly how many. So you can almost kind of negotiate it as if you were in the room even though you're online, which is really, I think is really cool. So you mentioned at the very beginning that this, uh, the low estimate for this sale mm -hmm. uh, is, is substantially bigger than mm -hmm. your last sale. But you didn't give me a number. What's the low estimate on this sale? So we have, so for Heritage, we have one modern contemporary art category. And this season that has three different sales. Um, that's our day sale, our evening sale. And then uh, we include our prints. And that goes on May 24th. And that's the way we've always sold it. So um, last season we sold actually our prints and all of our original works all together in one auction. Um, and that sale I think realized just shy of eight million. I think the low estimate was six million if my memory serves me correctly, which was double the season before it. Um, the season before it, I believe the low estimate was somewhere in the neighborhood of three million. Um, and once again, for everything under one umbrella, this season, we've chosen to sell the prints uh, at a later date, but you know, it's still part of our category. And I believe our low estimate this season is eight million. Um, so, you're making progress. We're making progress. I'd say, as much as I would have liked to have doubled our uh, our low estimate from last season, which we did the prior season. Um, you know, I think that uh, we're definitely making progress. I just think that there's. There's so much more room for growth out there, and I think that this platform is really, you know, our goal is not to sell eight, nine, ten-figure works. I mean, we're really, um, sorry, I'm just doing the math there. You can't sell ten-figure works. Um, you know, our goal is really to just become powerhouses in this middle market. It's really our goal is to, you know, firmly take the position where we can tell people, hands down, we're going to give you the best possible value the best possible business terms, the best possible marketing terms for your work worth between X and Y, which, you know, for me ideally will be 100,000 to 5 million for our evening sale and 10,000 to 500,000 for our day sale. Um, that is absolutely our goal. And, and really, I think it, it, in my experience, in my one year here, um, it's people want to be a big fish in a small pond. You know, you, they don't want to be a little fish in a, in a big pond. You know, and I, and I think, a lot of people have really, really, that, that idea has resonated with them, and, and that's why they've come to us, which is great. I'm really happy about that. That's fantastic. Good luck on May 2nd. Thank you. With luck, we will uh, get a chance to check in again afterward. Thank you very much. Thank you.
Thank you for listening to the Artelligence Podcast. Visit us at artmarketmonitor.com. 